Yeah, there's that like Guinness. It well, I got Guinness and Ambisol and Polar. So is Ambisol a beverage? Ambisol is a gel you put on. Gel. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I just, believe it. I feel like there's so many times where we're doing a podcast and I'm just not a hundred percent. It always there, there's always something wrong, right? Like you know, I'm either I'm getting sick, I'm getting over getting sick. My wisdom teeth tooth is growing in at the age of 28. There's always something. Which is wild. Yeah. And this I'm is a late bloomer. the first time in a long, long, long time that we are recording on the weekend. So you know I have those Sunday scaries. Yeah, Sunday get, get Sunday overall just an uncomfortable day. And uh, this, is, this is the way I feel on Thursday. But now it's Sunday again. That, that feeling of like... Eh, don't get too excited about anything. You have to go to work tomorrow and the whole week. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of people yeah, in the same boat I'm, as you. I know, I know. I joined the the rest of the world once more, for the time being at least, in a uh, in a seven to three Monday to Friday. Um, but and it really how, ends up more so being like often, a four to four. But is that is that what it's like? A four to four? Yeah. So you get up at 4 a.m. to get to your 7 a.m. job. Well, I have to be there at, at 6.30. Why? That's not 7. That's 6.30. Because being on time is late and being early is on time. And how long does it take you to get ready in the morning? Um, 20 minutes. Okay, yeah, because it takes me 15 minutes and then I'm out the door. Uh, but it sounds like it takes you a long time to get there. Uh, Yeah, 50 to an hour depends on... On traffic, it's not I, terrible. I, I think that makes you a super commuter. A hyper commuter, yeah. Is, is that a, a that's not a good a thing? Super. I can't I can't be happy to hear that. No, that's a that's definitely a bad thing. You don't want to be spending that much time commuting. Yeah, th- see, like I can't even believe that people do this. The the nine to five, like working multiple days. I I can't I I don't understand not just doing all your work at once. Like, that's I, how i've always felt yes I, I i previously worked um longtime fans will know that i worked friday saturday sunday 13 hours each day adding up totaling up to a, a 39 hour work week plus usually guaranteed pretty much guaranteed overtime of at least an hour to like three hours so usually working like 40 to 43 hours and more if I wanted to do extra overtime really didn't want to ever do that. That's the dream. But the but but there was so many good things about this because first of all my my hours were 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. which means that I missed the the I missed traffic both ways. Uh nor that it would it matter because I was basically only going about 10 to 15 minutes away from my house. So I really had a good thing going there. Like it, it, it was nice. If, if I could have gotten more money from that job or that was like more sustainable, that would have been amazing just because like zero com- basically zero commute. Um, uh, 10 AM to 11 means you can wake up at like nine 30, not bad at all. Um, and just throw on clothes, uh, get, get out the door in 15 minutes and then 15 minutes to get there. Uh, and then that job was showing up on time is on time and showing up a little late kind of is still on time. Um, but I, so I like that. Like I, and when, but what I, what makes me so sad is that for people who have to do like you, you have the, you have the Monday through Friday. If you add up all the commute hours because you're splitting up your days to five different days a week that, and if you have like an hour long commute, 
and it's you're doing it five times a week, then that's like a total of 10 extra hours a week just get added on that you're not getting paid for. But I am watching Netflix. Yeah, you got to make you got to make something out of that. You you have to you, the important thing is trying to make that commute work for you. So I've been so on my commutes I've been, you know, uh listening to YouTube videos, podcasts, stuff like that. Trying to make it Yeah. Something. Yeah, you can get some like ebooks or audio audiobooks that that's the one. Yeah. Man, it's audiobooks. sad. The the uh work is just soul crushing. But but you know what's not soul crushing? Don't I know it. Everything that's not uh, work. Just anything. A anything. lot of things are very good. Yeah, a lot of things that when that that you you work all the time so that you can hopefully have a better life outside of that. And 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 I will say that my time off is so much more valuable to me and meaningful after, you know, now that I've been working, I, I, I didn't appreciate it as, as much when I was just like in, in graduate school for a couple hours a week, just like bopping around and like, you know, whatever. Now I really appreciate that, that free time. Yeah. It, it, it feels like you can get something more meaningful out of it too. Cause you, you understand what that time means. So, so yeah, I'm and, a little bit better with, uh, actually doing something rather than just manage it. Like not just, I, I don't, I've noticed I don't really fall into the, uh, the like Reddit, you know, forum kind of vortex of just doing something that is a time waster all the time and doing yeah. more stuff that I, I actually am having better, better time with better spent I really time. don't waste my time anymore. Yeah. But we had a, uh, other than our, than our soul crushing weeks, uh, which I, I'm sure I, yeah. I, I, I love, I love talking about this because the like 99 per even even our like whatever our viewership is and they're not viewers um would just be hearing this like yeah guys uh you, that's so that is at the beginning of your stand-up material you know working commuting it sucks yeah it does i've been in it for a while and i will say also though it gets a lot better it feels awful at the start but then y- y- you know you get into it. Obviously, you are in a worse situation right now because you're at uh, Academy, right? So you're being yeah. tested. And I think that once all of that pressure is off of you, it gets a lot better. And and when I was new to my job, I, I felt a you know a great amount of pressure because I had never had an internship. Uh, this was my first job. Uh, I was go- I went from you know having as many hours in the week as I wanted to having hardly any. Like I, I didn't know what would be expected of me. So I was showing up early every day, but now I've, I've just been doing this for so long at the same place. So now I've, you know, I, I have something to fall back on. Like I have a reputation to fall back on where it doesn't matter if I'm late. It doesn't matter if I don't show up to some meetings like, or, or if I don't hit every deadline because I've, I've accrued some seniority yeah seniority does they, does they help care less i care less you know and that'll be you eventually but obviously for now you have to like prove yourself uh literally have to prove yourself because you're being tested uh but that'll go away and it'll get better so they say so we have a show lined up of undeterminable um un, indeterminable quality um and it is october the 21st to be with you some cool things happening some not cool things happening maybe 
all the time. I want to hear sure. about the not cool things. Uh, you know, I don't know. Are they game related? Uh, let's see. There's definitely because, some not cool things, right? Because I've got some not cool game related things to talk about. We'll get. Well, okay. All right. And it will. We'll, we'll stay negative now because everyone loves that negativity, and we'll we'll ease everyone in with negativity and bring them up with some more positivity. I want to get the negativity on, out of the way. End it on a good note. You know. You know, I was really into the Black Ops beta. Okay. I I was really digging the Blackout mode, which is their Battle Royale. It felt super smooth, super cool, and I was excited about Call of Duty again. But upon playing but... the final release version and playing some of the multiplayer, I felt like I was having the same issues with Call of Duty that I always do, which is actually related to uh, the tick rate. Okay. So I don't know if you've heard about this, but in the multiplayer beta for Black Ops, the tick rate was 60 hertz. Which okay, that's you a know, good. That's a great tick rate if right there. If you're if you're used to like Counter Strike, which is higher, I mean, like you know, it's it's not the best. But can we can we stop for one really quick second? Tick rate is the rate at which the server, uh, if everyone is connecting to a central server, tick rate is the rate at which the uh game is is the the server is basically like taking in all that information and deciding what is happening which is like complex but the main idea is that if there's lower tick rate then more there's more actions and more stuff going on between uh the the your different inputs if any of this makes any sense yeah so essentially you could think of it as like imagine and this is how it was described on reddit uh Imagine that there is a ghost behind you, and that ghost is what the server has recently updated. So the higher the tick rate, the more that the closer that ghost is to you. Shadow, sure. And imagine in a in like a multiplayer shooter where you are running behind a corner, right? And the the worse the tick rate is the further back your ghost is so you run behind a corner but your ghost doesn't make it behind the corner your ghost gets shot at and you die even though you've made it behind the corner so 60 tick rate was pretty good but it turns out that in the release version of black ops 4 the tick rate is actually 20 20 that is really i i thought you were going to say 40 because that would have been like worse but but still okay but 20 is is really bad splitting up a a second into like 20 milliseconds like typically like a lot of games run at at like like a fighting game is like usually 60 frames so those frames are important um but but splitting that up into 20 means that there's like massive gray area gaps in between what's happening that would make the game feel kind of sluggish and like unresponsive it feels like i was i got hit with a bait and switch here you were duped because because i because I liked, I liked the way it was. It felt that's, good. That's pretty. That's a pretty insane thing. Like that is that is really nasty. I I don't. I wonder. Has there been a clarification on this yet? No, but people are pissed. You know how much money Black Ops made so far? Twenty dollars. In, in in its first week, it made five hundred million dollars. In that's its a, first. That's week. a big skrill. Yeah, this was the largest digital release Activision has ever had. Wow, uh, that's saying something. But but that that it's insane not to hear to hear anything from that. That is 
such an actively like there there's times where where companies make mistakes and you can understand the mistakes they made like the the there there's like you know we ran a beta and it ran smooth then we released the game and it we didn't really anticipate that this many people would be playing it we thought it would be closer to beta and because of that we're having some server issues that's not something that like the company knew going beforehand but to have to run a server at 60 tick rate for a shooter and then to release it at 20 tick rate seems like and like inherently there was something malicious behind it like we have a low tick rate we can't run the server at this tick rate uh at 60 uh at like regularly um, it would require like too much bandwidth or something. So it's cheaper to run it at 20, but let's, you know, demo it at 60. So it feels good and people buy in and then they'll have already bought in and when reviewers they played it at 60, you know? Yeah. The reviewers played it at 60. And when they say like that, it's a buttery smooth call of duty experience, you know, they're not lying, but that's, then the game's really malicious actually. So I don't know if there's going to be like a plan. I don't know if they were, they, you know, were using these 20 hertz servers because they were just super overwhelmed. And maybe uh, once the, once the you know, initial player base drops off a little bit that they increase it. But I'll tell you this, it's going to drop off a lot faster if they keep those 20 hertz servers, especially on PC, where people actually give a shit about that stuff. Yeah. But, but I feel like 20 hertz is like impactful enough that even console players or even casual players would feel pretty bad about that. It feels bad to get behind a corner and die. Yeah. I, yeah, I would know. Uh, so that's been bumming me out. That but, is a bummer. But that's also been making me just say, well, you know what? There's events going on in destiny too. Oh, is there play that instead. There's a lot of stuff going on in destiny too. Right now. This was actually like, uh, this strange destiny week where every single event is happening at the same time because of how everything lines up. So in destiny two right now, there is a tier three corruption, which means a greater chance at getting uh, certain weapons like the malfeasance. There is iron banner, which is the uh, competitive crucible PVP game mode. And then there is the first week of the new event, uh, festival of the lost which bears uh, the most which comes, uh explanation which is essentially uh it is their halloween event and for now it has a new game mode in it where you are running through a procedurally generated dungeon uh going as far into it as you can in 15 minutes uh with increasing rewards depending on how long you can stay in it yeah, uh, those words were really good words when you put them together. Uh, it, it's also, it's it's really, this is a really interesting event for a lot of different reasons. I think that a lot of Destiny uh, uh, holiday events or a lot of video game holiday events are this kind of um, more, you know, superficial, uh, fun little thing to do. In the past, a lot of the um, uh, Festival of the Lost Halloween events have been more just like, getting these goofy masks and, and, you know, there really hasn't been like a lot of meat behind it. Uh, but what Bungie has done here is add a significant new mode in my opinion, or, and maybe more importantly, the framework for, uh, what people have been asking for, for a very, very long time. Uh, they, they almost did it in a very sheepish way too, because originally, 
what what is the name of this place? It's like the like Lost Garden or something. What is it? I forget the name of yeah, it. Yeah, the Infinite Garden. The Infinite Garden. The Infinite Forest. Infinite yeah. Forest. The Infinite Forest on on Mercury was billed as uh, I I think almost kind of a similar bait and switch uh, was in in all the marketing material was kind of like the de- the the destiny version of a Diablo rift or something like that um like like you know a a randomized uh, uh, set of enemies and areas that you would play in that would c- kind of give you an infinitely interesting activity and it wasn't it was terrible. It was very poorly implemented. The really important thing about how poorly implemented it was was that it was just thrown into these strikes, which are just Destiny's version of like PVE, you know, like instances, like you know, three players just fight along a twenty-minute player versus environment thing and then fight a boss. But what they did was they basically had like you know ten minutes of curated material ending in a boss, and then they they bolstered that with these really not interesting just point a to point b uh slightly randomly generated zones it's not really that interesting yeah like tiles essentially yeah Yeah, so it it doesn't really like it doesn't add anything to it ultimately it can feel new and interesting and uh like that there is this interesting random thing but if you're just adding a point a to point b and then you play the real strike at the end of it then there there was no there's no reason to do that but now they've they've added a mode where you can go i think i i don't know if you can go more than this but like seven different bosses yeah yeah you can go uh you can go deeper than that all right so the, i don't the... know if there how many different bosses there are but i know that uh it goes to at least 11 so a couple different things that I, I really like about this. Um, it's set in the Infinite Forest, the the uh, randomly generated tile area. Um, it's extremely dark, which is really uh, interesting for a couple different reasons. It's uh, thematic to Halloween and like the, the event, but it also changes a lot of the way you play because the terrain almost becomes difficult. I've died a lot to just thinking that I uh where it was like i can make that jump yeah i could make that jump or or the terrain should connect there and then you just walk off a ledge because it's so dark um so and also enemies themselves like there's a lot of like almost like spookiness or pot, like jump scares to like enemies jumping out of the darkness all very appropriate and very interesting um and yeah you're 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 fighting along these randomly generated tiles with randomly generated enemies and waves of enemies and killing a certain amount to be able to fight a boss and when you do that when you kill the boss you get reset into a harder version of this to do it again and you have to do it as many times as possible in 15 minutes for the best amount of rewards um it's it's great it's it's a it's also the framework for what the kind of mode that should have been in this game to begin with like they they're they're adding these really significant modes and really making destiny like if destiny has always been this like 2D kind of thing they're adding a lot of meat and making it this 3D thing that doesn't kind of fall over when you when you look behind it uh but it, stuff like gambit has just really added so much to the game in my opinion but i think adding uh a mode like this in the future would be really welcome to the 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 player base like uh, a almost like a uh, a thing to supplement strikes you know like you don't really want to yeah, play strikes I mean, but having like t- random tile sets that add, add to bosses and fighting as far as you possibly can get the way that 
uh, path of exile has always succeeded is they don't make this like deep story content that you play forever. This really curated content. They just make content that's replayable. They make it random. They make it different every time. And that's not a way that Bungie has ever tried to do it until now. They, they've always tried to just put in curated content and sometimes it doesn't work because you have even in the story mode you have all of these missions in destiny 2 where oh th this is the uh this is the the gunrunner's base and it's the same as the bandit's base except that you run through it backwards and they say that it's this different thing and and that kind of that kind of rubs me the wrong way. I, I kind of prefer the idea of just like here's this random tile set, uh, run through it. You know. Yeah, it would be cool if they if they leaned into this a little bit harder, added different types of tile sets, added more there, like added more mechanics. There's some there's some interesting stuff. Like the further you get out, you get down those tile sets. Uh, you get like negative modifiers. I think it'd be cool if there was like negative and mod positive modifiers. Maybe there was like a optional boss that would waste your time. But if you killed it, you would get a positive modifier. That's just like I'm spitballing. That was literally one second to think that um, that I, I know that in this event, uh, they randomly spawn sometimes these bosses that cannot be harmed and one shot you if you go too close to them. So they kind of like are walking around the darkness and they're, they're huge knights and they can just one shot you and if you go near them and they can't be harmed at all. I think more stuff like that, uh, more tile sets and you would have a really good mode as long as you made it, you know, reward, like act, have a equivalent reward. I, I really want a destiny, like a destiny like that is all about the gameplay and less about being grand and being epic being legend right yeah and maybe that's what the next borderlands is maybe if uh if that ever happens if it ever happens but yeah that so festival of lost really cool and a bunch of events going on at the same time and in festival of lost i think it's probably also important to say that uh people can grind out and i don't think it's too difficult to get a uh 600 light gun which is a big deal um did you get it uh, I didn't get it, but I didn't get it yet. But I, today's the first day I was able to do to to play a little bit. But um, yeah, it'll probably take you like three days of uh, dailies to get it. Yeah, um, that's that's nice. I like the idea of of events having an actual tangible big reward of like, you know, you you earned it. It's not going to be the best thing in the game, but light level wise, it's going to be a big boost. And it's it seems like it's it's really kind spirited to put in a pretty easy uh short grind for like a really high light weapon just as a reward you know to people who stick with it it's it's not gonna break the game i don't think it's the best thing auto rifle in the game by far but it's a good little it's a good little bonus to people who who probably need it Maybe this says bad things about me, but as soon as I picked up that auto rifle, I started winning a lot more. And it made me think to myself, am I bad at Destiny? Am I bad at Destiny because I'm better with an auto rifle than I am with a hand cannon? And I think the answer is absolutely. But everyone is bad, right? Destiny is the game full of people who are bad. It probably has, I think Destiny might have the worst player base. That's not even like, you know, attitude wise necessarily 
Um, just really that, and, and I talk to you about this a lot. I, I think that this is a very basic thing with Destiny, and it and it might do it might be due to the fact that Bungie conceals like API, and they don't um, they don't talk when they do balance changes about like hard numbers, which is something that I want. I think a lot of other people want. They did but recently, it, but it, people don't. They they did recently with the scout rifle change. Okay. They 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 typically shy away from hard numbers. They say stuff like we're increasing across the board overall scout rifle impact. And that's something that they say, but there's not really or, or they say like percentages, but it's like we don't have base numbers to those things. I, I think that like it's interesting to have a game like Destiny where uh you like when you look at something that gets played the, you know, amount of hours that it gets played when you compare something like what you already said, Path of Exile to Destiny, uh, Path of Exile is full of uh, nonstop optimization. People breaking down numbers, talking about like all these different important things and like play style things. And people try and understand that game as much as they possibly can. Whereas Destiny really just gets more into the feeling of things. I don't think that the player base uh, does that well in breaking down like actual statistics in any meaningful way, uh, understanding like any sort of tier values of guns or anything like that, because it really ends I don't up think being that's true anymore. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but I've been spending a lot of time on the Crucible Reddit, and they're pretty serious about the tiering of weapons. Okay. About what is and isn't good, like uh, you know, talking about like Luna's Hell and the Duke, uh, what is it, MK44 hand cannon as being one of the best. And uh, the bygones pulse rifle, and and people are definitely just having those conversations. That's the and kind of thing that I want to see. Yeah, and sometimes it's just really obvious, right? Like in Gambit, the sleeper simulant is obviously the best because of the fact that when you're invading, you can see through the walls, so anything that one shots people around corners is going to be pretty good. But that's not even, and that really is just like a, it feels good. But it but it feels good because it one shots people around the corner, so that's a little more obvious. Yeah. But I think a lot of games just like have bad player bases, uh, like Overwatch, for example, right? I don't think the p player base in that game is uh, particularly good. But maybe if I went back to it, they would be a bit better. But at the same time, like Overwatch was just on like Humble Bundle, so you could have gotten the game for like a really low price. So I think that the community is still like growing for overwatch which is which is good that's what you want right yeah i mean I, I still want overwatch to be a better game i don't know what it would take now to make me want to play overwatch all the time it's a hard sell um but it's been done before so and blizzard's done it so yeah i mean the thing about overwatch is that it doesn't have a treadmill and i think that that is both a good thing and a bad thing like you play overwatch to play overwatch and if you have fun with it, then that's it. But they're not like trying to keep you there. They're not like incentivizing you through like this grind, unless you really care about the cosmetics. Yeah, the golden weapons. I don't know if I do. I don't know if I do either. Is that uh, is that Destiny? That's that's shooters, right? I mean, I I did the uh, so my sort of strategy of going through the week was I tried to get the uh, six hundred auto rifle as quickly as I could so that I could grind Iron Banner and my powerful rewards from Iron Banner would be like boosted by that 600 IR. So it's looking pretty good. I think I'm at like 560 light right now. That's amazing. I'm at like 525. I'm behind. 
for sure. I'm pretty high up there. I could, I'm raid ready. I also don't know if I, I love, like, I'm having a pretty crisis moment with, like, between liking and always liking Warlock, but finally with the new talents, liking Titan a lot. So that, that's, that puts me in a weird spot. I feel bummed out being a hunter. I feel like they're very boring compared to Titans and Warlocks right now. All right, so maybe that's, if that's I right. get my maybe if I get my last seat of light, I'll feel better about them. Yeah, I still gotta get my last seat of light for my warlock. So, um, you've been playing Soul Calibur. I've been playing Soul Calibur. I like Soul Calibur so far. Uh, the thing that I like. So we're talking about Soul Calibur Six. It is the new entry to the Soul Calibur series. It is the first Soul Calibur in I think seven years. So it's been a while. Soul Calibur 5 wasn't very good. Soul Calibur 4, I liked a lot. Uh, so it's kind of cool to have Soul Calibur back because Soul Calibur is it is my preferred 3D fighter, which is to say I like it more than Tekken, uh, and that's about it, right? I mean, I can't think of other 3D fighters. If, if they're there, then they're not important. But um... and it's my second favorite series behind Blaze Blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I dig this one. The thing that I dig is that I look at the Soul Calibur roster, and as someone who, you know, took Soul Calibur seriously for, I think I have maybe like 300 or 400 hours into Soul Calibur 4. I know every hero in it. So I look at the Soul Calibur 6 roster, and I'm just like really excited about every character in it. And I think that that's the best thing you could say about any fighting game. Because that's the thing that I've always cared about in fighting games is I want to look at the roster and have no idea who I want to play because not only is every character interesting, but they're also different from one another. And that's that's the thing that makes me dig Soul Calibur. Yeah, I mean, Soul Calibur has always kind of been based around the weapons and everyone having a, a, a hugely different fighting style based on the way that their weapons work. So... So yeah, I, I could see, I could always see how uh, you gravitate to Soul Calibur because it is the kind of game where uh, you know you you align yourself to different types of weapon types. You know, like you want to play like there there's largely different play styles coming from these different weapon types, and I totally know what you mean by looking through the roster and having a bunch of people that you want to play. However, however, you're not you're not crazy about Soul Calibur. So um, far, I mean, yeah, you so far, played I'm, it very much, but there's so something far. that's turning you off. Right? Um, one big thing that turns me off is that, and and like you're fair to like, th- there's a lot to talk about here. Like, I think it's super fair to considering how much I liked Tekken and Tekken having no uh, tutorial at all. Um, I, I think that it's 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 like disingenuous to be to say that like a tutorial is an absolute killer for, lack of tutorials an absolute killer for me but i just still can't believe how this is just something that gets thrown to the wayside even the, in 2018 i this is this is the most one of the most important things in a fighting game it is so important more important than like it, it, like netcode and like online player versus player experience being like number one outside of the core game mechanics. Then after that, probably tutorial. Like don't like take strip out the other modes. Don't give me a 
uh, a solo mode, a a story mode. I know there's people who there's a lot of people who actually care about that. I just don't care. The thing that I really value is like a strong tutorial mode. I I, I love that when games uh, give you uh, good basics to start out with. Um, Soul Calibur does have a tutorial mode. It's kind of in a weird spot. Uh, I don't it think it, it's. It's really easy to miss because when you look on the main page, it sh- there should just be it, in in a perfect world, or not even a, in an okay world. In in 2018, you you get onto a fighting game for the first time, and the menu is like you know arcade story, uh, net like 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 network, and then there's like training tutorial. And when you go into like tutorial mode, what it would do intelligently you would assume is like you here pick a character when you pick a character it's like okay use their light auto combo okay good go on to the next thing okay do this move so now you and then like give you a basic for like what buttons do what moves and then start giving you basics for like not even optimal combos just but but just like here's like a crappy version of like a bread and butter or something to just do so you understand like yeah. this move changed into and, this and move. that stuff is that stuff is in there they have the combos and everything listed on the move lists of the character, right? So, sort of. And they have I, th- and they have demos on how to do those. That's right. That, sort of. I, okay, so so it, it's all done really poorly. Like to, to that's disingenuous to say that that like it's in it's in there and it's it's hidden and or obfuscated and done poorly. Like uh, when I my without seeing a tutorial mode, my best bet was like I'll go into training mode and I'll look up character like combos and stuff like that. Um, there is like yeah, a th- and, and the combos are on the move list. Yeah, and there's a thing that's like uh, here's you know basics. Like there's a there's like a written thing that explains uh, like basics for the character, and then there's an, a a beginner, adept, advanced, or whatever uh, thing where they break down some something. They they break down aspects of the character like oh when you're when you're a ranged character, so you're gonna want to be using this attack. And when people get too close, you want to use this attack, and like that—that's all well and good, but it—it it sh- it could have been presented in a better way. And the my immediate, like I have an immediate distaste for it because I looked, I read, started reading those things, and I said, and and it would it would say like you know when like here's a here's a good poke is use this, and I'd be like exit out of that. Let me see what that looks like and do that a couple times okay that's what that looks like but then you have to go back into the menu back onto where it has the character tutorial things back to find the character it's not even highlighting the character you're playing as at the time it highlights like the first character alphabetically you have to go find your character then it goes into the mode break and then it's like a sub menu breaking down the like beginning advanced like all these different things to find back where your place was that is horrendous If you are looking at the move list for any character, it lists all of those moves that are told to you in the main attack section. And then there's also a line of that main attack section that says, use this move when the character is doing X, Y, Z. That's what you just and said. It does, and it does maintain your place in that move list. Because you're talking about combat lessons. Okay. I'm talking about move list, which allows you to view the moves of your selected character. It saves your spot. It tells you when to do it. It tells you this move is a combo starter. Here are its properties. And at the bottom of the main attacks list, there's also a list of like four or five combos for everyone. And in the in the tutorial, if you're there, uh, you can also request a demonstration of those moves. 
it's it's okay it's still not i don't know like i like i i went to the tutorial the tutorial is hidden in the create a character mode um and you can go to like a battle tutorial it's pretty slow um i can understand why it would be slow because you're you know you have to start from basics because uh like even core stuff like you know guarding uh can be new to a lot of people it's also weird for me to play a game where there's a guard button um but uh uh, oh yeah, Tekken didn't have that, right? Yeah, Tekken you don't press anything to guard. If you if you crouch down, uh, then you're low blocking, and if you don't touch the stick at all, then you're you're mid high blocking. Um, but um, so so and 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 no, generally two D fighters don't have a block button. So it is kind of it's weird to you know not just hold back. That's what I'm used to. But um, uh, as I was I I, I think I, I looked at like. I immediately jumped into that mode and it took me like 12 minutes to be basically be doing a lot of like generic stuff. I wasn't even at like, here's combos with this weapon yet. It was 12 minutes just to say, you know, like, here's your gauges. Here's uh, how you do a low, a general low attack for most characters. Hit them with a low attack three times. It just, it takes a little too long. It's a little like, it's not as like well done. Like what, what I want is the literal, like, like Street Fighter, Street Fighter does this, Dragon Ball Fighters does this in a poor way. Um, but it gives you, uh, I guess, like it gives you like the, the, um, it's like it's like Dragon Ball Fighters does it like it, you're getting a blue apron where it's giving you some basics about the character and it asks you like now that you know uh, certain like links or combo starting things and and ways to open up or ways to to get some damage now how do you maximize that but at the very least it kind of gives me a better basic. I just wish that I could go into a tutorial mode, pick a character, and then have, like, start from nothing, do that, and then instantly end that to go on to the next thing that's a little bit more complicated and go through, like, this whole in one sitting uh, beginning to advanced, at least for what... I feel like going through the move list is good enough, and they give you the combos in the move list. Not the combat lessons, the move list. And it's all there in the main attacks, so you don't have to, like, hunt for it. But I'll yeah, I mean, it doesn't have, I like, mean, the... I'm not trying to say that, that that's an the 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 weirdly hidden tutorial mode uh and not just having a tutorial on the the main page like the the main menu is is kind of frustrating to me. I I the thing that's weird to me is that why can't any fighting game get just everything right? There's I, not one of them I, I, that has it all. Have we right? have we always been saying this throughout all these fighting games like I love Dragon Ball Fighters. I have like 350 hours in that, and I I am still like loving it and playing it a ton. But even then, I don't think it gets things right. Tekken, I love to death, and it just didn't get a lot of things right. It didn't even have a tutorial mode. It didn't even attempt to have a tutorial Remember mode. Remember trying to get a fight in Tekken? That's hard. Like trying to yeah. battle each other. That that was a At basic least. basic thing yeah. that that like the way that we had to to find each other in the game was to. Like well, like we, we if we did a private match, then there was no option for rematching. Like it, it, every fighting game manages to do these things. Like they never, like the developers put all these pieces together and never played it or you know play tested it to see like here's these basic things that people who are gonna be playing the game will want, like a rematch. I, Soul Calibur doesn't even do that. It's not that slow. The loading isn't too slow, but I really it's do wish. Fast. What? It's pretty fast. It's, I, I it's haven't played fast. enough with the settings. Uh, I won't say that like there's no way to do a rematch because I, I don't know if that's the case yet. 
uh, because it was set, the room that we had was set for like eight people because it's the default. So maybe if you set it to like a lower number, it's, it's, I set it to, it I set it to one other person and there wasn't an option for rematch, but, okay. um, yeah, there's like core things about every fighting game that I, I don't understand why someone can't just do it right. That there was like, and there's so many that, that like get halfway there. Um, like blaze blue cross tag was like a really interesting concept with really divert with a really diverse cast and some really fantastic ideas. But I just like, I, I was playing a little bit of it, learning a little bit of it and starting to enjoy it. And then I had a moment where I realized that I can't just, you know, invite someone to play with me. I have to go find them physically in like a lobby, which is horrendously bad. Dragon Ball fighters kind of does that as well. Like you have to actually like tell someone, meet me at this lobby. Then you have to go physically find each other, then create like a, arena match or whatever like a player match right there where they have to go up to you and like click on you or you know press a near you to be able to put in like a passcode like why is that happening why can't i just go into a full just a, a, a menu that just says i want to be in a, i want to be able to invite one other friend into a locked match and then just sit there rematching them that's such a core thing like that's such a basic thing yeah, it's like, do they assume that people don't want to play fighting games in online the same way they play them in person? Do they know how people play fighting games, or like that 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 play that that uh like the 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 local play of fighting mm -hmm. games of of just sitting next to someone and being able to to play and then rematch should be there should be an equivalent online. I don't I don't understand why that's so difficult why why there always has to be like lobbies and then you pick a character and then you fight and then it kicks you back out to a lobby instead of just allowing you to rematch or just always like soul caliber allows you to do to to just invite someone to like a a private lobby but why doesn't every fighting game do those kind of basic things like every like we said like soul caliber gets some things right and some things wrong and like all these fighting games do the same thing i just don't understand why they can't have like some sort of convention to say like so you guys uh, never added this thing that is core to all fighting games. So you should add that. And then someone else says, you guys didn't add this other core thing. And then they could all work on making a, a good game, a fully good game, instead of just a, like an 8 out of 10 or a 7 out of 10. Can't they just have like one person from the fighting game community to, to like tell them what needs to happen? There just needs to be like a checklist. It's not even like, you don't even need like a a uh, an ambassador for fighting games just a checklist like like i'm online and i have a friend and i want to play over and over again with the same friend how do you facilitate is it because, that because is it because they're all eastern like like are things different like elsewhere like i don't know um but other than that uh it's it, uh what else do i like and not like about soul Calibur? i mean i think like the game itself is pretty dense. Uh, they they have a lot of modes. Uh, they don't they they don't if have. You do a, like the single player stuff? Yeah, the single player stuff is cool. There's like, a, you go around a world map. You create a character. Uh, you collect weapons from different characters that you could switch between. Uh, the weapons have like stats. They level up. Your character levels up. You could do side quests. So like, if that's your jam and you just want to like play single player, then. That's, yeah, have like an RPG fighting game, then it's in there for you. I think the Soul Calibur kind of does that, right? That's yeah, a core of Soul Calibur. Yeah, that's always been like a thing they do, yeah. 
Um, that's not really what I'm looking for, mode. but sure. They have a story mode for each character where you could go through their individual stories. They have a uh, character creation where you can add a penis onto uh, any character you want. Uh, and you could just have like a, uh, you know, a furry or like a giant lizard man that has like a massive, massive erect penis and then uses it to attack if that's what you need. Um, a lot of people do need that, apparently. The character creator seems pretty robust based on like what I've seen other people make. Yeah, like, I know. It does seem very robust. Make, There's like, a lot of different types of things you can use to make it look like a penis on your character. Apparently, uh, people have made like a 2B from, what, is, what was that game? Uh, oh, I'm going to get Nier, in trouble Automa, for not knowing that game, right? Automata Nier. or whatever. Yeah, so people have made like a lot of just like characters from other games in it. People have made like uh, Bloodborne characters and stuff like that. So I guess it's good enough to do that stuff. You really want to just like play as Star Fox then uh, the, the tools are in there for you to do that. Yeah, I kind of, like, I, I appreciate that, and then at the same time, I don't as, appreciate it as much. Like, the characters are based, the, the character creation uh, allows you to base it off of a existing character, and so, like, there's you're not really going into matches fighting, like, you know, weird, you know, non-existent or created play styles. You're just fighting, you know, the, the their character, user character, generated characters but i don't know there's something that like slightly turns me off about about playing a fighting game and going in with my you know core character roster character and then fighting like a uh which already happened to me a mummy with a top hat and a spectacle and a giant erect uh metal penis um (laughs) and like it's it just it's just something it's like it's like jarring or like it, it it like for whatever reason for me like i look at that kind of stuff and it's like tekken doesn't have giant erect dicks and like if it, it for me it's like it could be good for you and good for other people for me like like the whole character creator thing could be dropped and i wouldn't i wouldn't bat an yeah eye. tekken it's tekken nice that they had those it. issues right where they had like all the floating shit that could be around your character well tekken tekken yeah tekken's core character creator in general was pretty bad but i think it's fine like i i just wish that people wouldn't character create to begin with i I don't know if that like maybe it just makes me like super milk toast but in something like dragon ball fighters like all the characters look the same there's no alternative outfits you get like color palette swaps but that's it and uh i i don't know maybe it just adds to like a little bit more of like in a in a weird way in a, in a really probably a really silly way uh just adds a little bit to like integrity of the game whereas like i i for whatever reason it just is a is a slight turnoff to like you know even if they're going to be I'm wondering big... if uh yeah do you think do you know if you can use your creative character in ranked mode no no <clears throat> i don't know i would guess i would guess no because like the creative characters have um, different hitboxes, uh, the the characters are different size. So some characters like uh, you can add reach and power to a character based on how small you make their form. Yeah, I guess if that were um, disabled in rank, that would be that would be fine. That would uh, alleviate my issues. Uh, so I think that unless you have anything to say about uh, more to say about Soul Calibur, we should get to the purely positive aspect of this podcast which is soul caliber or well if you're if we're finished with soul caliber then then we need to get to the positivity to all the positivity i want to i want to you know take the second half of this podcast to be about things that are we only have good things to say about right yeah i mean 
uh, my last thing about Soul Calibur is like, I'm pretty new to that franchise. Uh, I've played like Soul Calibur 2 a lot, but I don't have any basis for remembering how it works. And I think like any fighting game is really mashy at the low level, right? Like Tekken doesn't, isn't better than that. Like Tekken gets to be really mashy at the low level and mid level. Um, but, but for whatever reason, like something about Soul Calibur, like just rubs me a little bit the wrong way. It just kind of ends up being a lot of like, I don't really know what people, even at high level, um, even for fighting games, I don't even understand at high level. You, it looks like they're doing interesting things and it looks like they're doing setups, even if you don't really have a core understanding of that game. And maybe it's just my ignorance uh, about Soul Calibur. But even when I look at a lot of high uh, high level Soul Calibur play, it mostly just looks like people are like mashing good attacks at each other that they think like will hit at those ranges or those speeds. And that there's not like that as much thought as there is in a lot of other games. But I that... feel like if you looked at Tekken with an untrained eye, you would probably feel the exact same way. Maybe. I mean, like, Tekken, it just, it, it there's, like, an elegance to it, to, to it, in, like, it might, sure, it, like, I think I'm, I'm definitely qualifying this with, like, I, it, it could be just core ignorance, but when I, when I see Tekken, even when I didn't understand Tekken, I still understood, like, that people are, you know, poking and doing all these kind of things, and Soul Calibur, you know, it still has these core fighting game mechanics, but it just looks like people are kind of going up to each other and, like, mashing different, quick attacks or like i'm hitting you with the with highs now now i'm going for lows oh you hit me like everyone's just kind of mashing at each other but um we can go on uh i've been playing cross code more i think i'm like 36 hours into cross code uh that game's a serious game of the year contender man oh wow uh, that game is super good super smart the more you play it the better it gets because you continue and and i, I we've talked about this game a bit before but it is like a uh it's a top-down action RPG that has Zelda-like dungeons uh, with way more complex and like difficult puzzles and really rewarding, really fast combat uh, with parries, with, with uh, perfect guarding, evading, and all sorts of like, like secret side quests that like build upon like the overall narrative of the game and teach you more about like this weird world that it's in. And it is just super cool, dude. It is such a fun game, like, at all times. Uh, I just finished the second dungeon that is, like, a, that gave me my second element. So I have the fire element and ice element unlocked. And when you switch between the different elements, you get access to different uh, special attacks with them. But the, the dungeons are so smart. So in the second dungeon, you're dealing with all of this water. And at the start, when you first enter the dungeon, you have access to fire. So you could you could essentially turn the water into steam and interact with the world sort of in that way. Where, okay, I need to shoot this this uh, projectile across across the room, but there's this this uh, water block that's in my way. So first I'll shoot the water block to to evaporate it, and then I'll shoot my projectile and it'll go through just fine. But once you unlock ice, then it's totally different because now uh, you could turn the water into ice and then you're shooting projectiles that are deflecting off of the ice and, you know, then it's sending it in different directions. So, you know, at parts of the, at parts of the dungeon, 
there will be like multiple layers of ice and uh, multiple layers of water where you have to figure out which ones you have to evaporate, which ones you have to freeze. And it, it is just super cool. It is so smart. And I am surprised with how well this game like respects the player. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where, where it, it's similar to mm-hmm. a witness where they, they really believe that you are capable of figuring out these puzzles because like they'll make it really complicated. It is like unabashedly complicated with its puzzles. And at the same time, they're running all of like these side quests where uh, you have, uh, you know, party members because you are in this, uh, in this, in this MMO MMO world world, where you're all part of like a guild. So the dungeons are instants, but they'll say, okay, we're going to do a race through the dungeon. So they actually put you on like a two hour timer where they say like, if you finish this dungeon in less than two hours, then you will have beaten your guildmates at this speed race. And it doesn't actually do anything for the story. Like it doesn't change anything except for like the dialogue here and there. Like there's no like rewards, there's nothing against you. But if you get through it fast enough, they like mark on it. Like, hey, you got through that dungeon like faster than we did. That's pretty cool. And if you beat them like in the first dungeon, but you don't beat them in the second dungeon, they like take note of that. And and I think that's pretty neat. It seems like a really cool game. I just, uh, I know that you're saying, you said earlier that uh, despite the fact that it, it is a really long game that you feel like you can make the time for it because of how much you like it. But for me, it just feels like right now I can't make the time. And it's not like grindy. Like it res- I feel like it respects your time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't take a while to get going. It just gets going. Yeah. And since you're increasingly getting new stuff, like it always feels like good and rewarding to play. Uh, I've also been playing Donut County. Okay. I think you, know you were, you were this explaining game? this a little bit to me, but I don't, I don't, I don't remember exactly. So Donut County is uh, this is released on like uh, I think you could get this on like iOS. You could play it on a tablet. Uh, it's also on Xbox, PS4, and PC. And in the game, you essentially move around a hole, and as things fall into the hole, the hole gets larger, and then you could pick up bigger and bigger things. So it's very similar to Katamari. It is like the closest any game has gotten to Katamari. So Katamari-like? It's made by Ben Esposito. The music is super duper good. Uh, And it's really short. I think that the whole game, you could get through it in like two hours. But it's worth playing just because like the style of the game is like really slick and the music is just so good. Well, that's good. So I totally recommend that. I think that it's a little pricey. I think it's like 20 bucks for a pretty short experience, but I think it's worth it. It's one of those things where uh, the dollars per hour is maybe not good, but they're really quality hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm fine with that. I don't need games to be 60 hours. And in fact, please don't make all your games 60 hours because I just, I'd rather play some of these like tight, fast experiences that are that are shorter Mm -hmm. have you been gaming any any digital games um other than my regulars uh i was playing uh terraforming mars not the board game oh yeah but the the steam game um and in keeping with this fast pace similar to uh like what you were saying about donut county like it is uh 
a steam I hope you only have positive things to say about it because this is the positive part of the podcast i mostly really do um uh it's it's kind of been i've heard mixed things about it but uh and i think that uh it's a little overpriced uh there there's been a lot of steam uh board game adaptions adaptations recently and uh this is 25 dollars, so that's a little bit pricier and it is kind of like weird and buggy or like we it just john kind of presented weird every once in a while um one of the big things is like it uh on the card text of a lot of cards they go off the side of the card so you can't actually read what it's saying so that's weird uh there's a lot of times where like i don't really know what effect a card will have because the text of it is goes off the card instead of being like you know space to like be like aligned to fit on the card it just is a straight sentence that just eventually walks off the side of the card so i don't really know what it will do but the the main thing i guess is like you know a little overpriced some some weird buggy stuff but um yeah it's it's you terraforming know, mars and it's and that reminds me that i have actually been terraforming a different kind of mars because i've been playing a bit of no man's sky here and there wow um but uh yeah the main thing i don't like you played terraforming mars we talked about terraforming mars i think uh i forget if we actually have because it's been a while since we podcasted but uh i don't think we have actually talked about terraforming mars since the last time that i had played it with you but um i i liked terra i you played terraforming mars and thought that yes it deserves to be uh you know number four game on bgg and i said a bunch of like you know baseless criticisms of it saying you know i haven't played it but here's aspects of it that I think I won't like. But uh, we eventually, we did play it. You have an awesome broken token um, organizer that adds a lot to the game and has some better high quality like, component stuff. Uh, it fixes the game. It fixes the game. Um, that is a really good game, though. That really, I could understand why people go buck wild for it. Myself, I myself really, really like it. Uh, it's got a certain smoothness to it. It doesn't necessarily feel like uh even if you do get behind it doesn't feel too bad because you're still kind of enjoying your own like it's almost like a clicker right it's like a board game version of a clicker where the numbers just keep getting higher uh the main thing is that like you have all these different resources and you're increasing their incomes and as you're increasing their incomes at the end of the round you're getting a bigger return and as the game goes later on you're getting bigger and bigger returns for bigger cooler plays and playing cooler cards uh so it's got really satisfying, like clicker-like uh, video game mentality of low numbers going higher and engine building. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I actually really like. I don't regret buying the Steam version. Um, it, it other than some of the wonky stuff that I already said, the presentation I think is pretty good. Uh, it has a lot of like 3D. It, it's all 3D on the like uh, presented on the uh, terraforming like the the Mars map, and there's different you think, cool uh, same clip art. Uh, yeah, the the the, uh, art, the cards do have the same clip art, but uh, they have like effects. So there's some cool effects, like playing a nuke, and then the the nuke actually like flies over and hits that area of the board, and there's this big huge flash, and the screen gets all like staticky for a second. Cool little stuff like that. I think that that it uh, terraforming Mars itself is already good, uh, and. Uh, but I, I could still understand. I won't like, you know, wholeheartedly recommend it. It's not, it doesn't have the expansion. So it's missing out probably more, most importantly on uh, Prelude, which for an engine building game, Prelude basically 
kicks your engine into into gear in the beginning and lets everyone start kind of being a little bit more like gets everyone's engine and economy going a little bit earlier so that uh, it makes the game a little bit faster and more fun from the beginning. Um, and it adds uh, more asymmetry, which is nice. That's true. Um, uh, playing the core, the base version of the game is kind of weird because uh, I th- I can imagine why people wouldn't like it as much as I, I still like it, just because it, it seems very random sometimes. Uh, I got it, for example, like I, I played as this, this Earth um, uh, company where they get like bonuses to uh, the Earth cards are cheaper. And I played an entire game where like I didn't draw any Earth tag cards. So that really sucks, like to not really have your company be using its passive thing but overall really fun i still like terraforming Mars. i like that game um so tell me Very about cool, yeah no man's sky uh yeah so i've been playing no man's sky and i'm not to the point of no man's sky where it's very different from the release version except for having really slick performance having uh better quest with more direction at the beginning yeah it's like, like a tutorial kind of and, it like kind of yeah and then there's like some base building elements now where you can actually like hunker down on a planet put up some walls to keep you safe from storms and uh you can also teleport between uh different bases that you've built which is kind of cool and kind of like uh i i I haven't found like uh i'm really early in the game still but it's so it's it's just really relaxing Mm -hmm. it's it's just nice to have a game to like poke around in without really thinking too much about what I want to do, not worrying about like where I am on like a gear treadmill or, or, you know, time limited events or things like that, because I don't know, like I, I just, I need a break from that stuff. It's nice to have and that vacation like no game. Sky is, is, is kind of there where it's just like super relaxing. I could play a podcast. I don't have to pay too much attention, if any attention to it. And, you know, Path of Exile sometimes occupies that space for me, but Path of Exile can have some negative moments in it as well, where you sort of like hit a wall and and you don't want to like figure out how to get past that wall right now because maybe you don't want to uh, bop around on POE trade or maybe you don't feel like running Labyrinth. Yeah, that's where I'm at really is like I to get further, I would need to start spending my currency to like redo all my gear, but it gets into like a more like almost spreadsheet frustration of like, I don't even have the time to buy gear and then like look up like the different now, like how my resistance are changing to make sure that I'm not buying gear that now is going to end up being worse overall and stuff like that. So I do like, I, I do appreciate the beginning of path of exile when you're just improving and your build is coming online and you just play without, you always know the next thing you're supposed to do. And then it's kind of, it's always like more of a wall when I get to the late game and I have to actually like start optimizing more and more and more instead of playing. I know what you mean. So No Man's Sky, nothing like that. Maybe it gets there later. Like maybe it gets a little more grindy, but at the same time, the grind in the game is just like running around a beautiful planet. And I think that the planets are actually way better looking now. Maybe it's just because uh, I'm not thinking about it very much, but I feel like I'm in some like barely lush forests in in the in the current planet which is different from the rocks i was used to seeing yeah <clears throat> well they've they've made a ton of improvements in that game it's weird to see that game come back i guess they made enough money off those initial sales and they felt like enough guilt 
that they were just like, okay, now we really just got to make the game we promised. Because I, I don't think that they actually sold any DLC, right? They've no, just they've never sold any all DLC. These, all these free updates. So good for them. I mean, even if you even if you hated them, like when this game first released, there is something like there, there's something redeeming to be said about the direction they've taken things. Yeah. But it's still at mixed reviews on Steam. Uh, with nearly 96,000 reviews. All right, so P Games. We hung out yesterday, and I had I an amazing like day. I don't like that you say that. What, P Games or we hung out? Uh, P Games and that we hung out. I don't like the idea of you saying we got together and played P Games. We just played some P Games together in a room. You know, what's what's weird with that? So we played some physical games, which also sounds bad. All of this sounds bad. We played board games. Tabletop. Tabletop games. Tea games. High tea games. So tell me, Mason, what do you think? We played a couple games. We played, uh, I was hoping we would get a chance to play um, maybe like Terraforming Mars or something like that. I, w- I, w- I really wanted to do a second playthrough of Brass, Brass Birmingham. Brass Birmingham. Um, we, but we played uh, one of those, uh, which was the first time it's hit the table for us. Um, really exciting for, for me. I, 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 I really like that game. Uh, I won't say that I love it yet. Uh, and we played secret Hitler. That was my first time playing that. I love that game. That was fun. I think everyone had a blast with that. And we played some cockroach poker. Uh, so two kind of party games and, and started out the day with a and villainous. You're right. I keep, I, I forget that. Which, which maybe is like something that, uh, you know, you don't have a lot of thoughts about because you've uh, talked about it so much and played it so much already. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I would be interested to hear what you thought. I also don't know if you got the best experience of it. I think the villainous plays a little bit better in, in smaller groups. I think three or two is good. I think villainous is a really good two player game. Um, uh, it, it just takes a little too long to get to your turn in, in larger player games. And it, you want the game to move fast faster because the game can kind of like start out a little bit slower um especially for certain characters stuff that you're that you're able to do on other people's turns there's sometimes stuff you can do on the conditions cards um but uh yeah we played a four-player game of villainous uh i played as king john um uh my long-term my ltcp played as ursula you played as captain hook and paul played as the queen of hearts which uh, was the character that we've always thought of to be the best character. She's the hardest to slow down, and she can kind of run away with her win condition pretty early. Um, but what did you think overall, having only played really one cool game? game? What? Conceptually, it's cool. I think that you could probably play it pretty fast, but there, I mean, it's it's a game that has a deck that you draw from, right? So there's always going to be a bit of weirdness. The character that I played, Captain Hook, is reliant on drawing two cards that he needs. One from the fate deck, which is something that your opponents are drawing from you for you, and that Captain Hook has ways to draw himself. And then you're also trying to cycle through cards in your deck fast enough to find the Neverland map, which is an item that you need to meet your win condition. Yeah. So it's tricky because it feels like there are times where you don't have a lot of agency in in winning, because like there is a chance that at the start of the game. You get the Neverland map first thing, and you get uh, Peter Pan comes out right at the front, and that could really change the way that the game plays out. 
And you said, oh, well, and I, and I think Priya said this also of like, well, it's up to the other players to keep you in check. But in a, in a one versus one in like a two-player game, that would be even harder, right? Because even if they're continually fading you, uh, when you're fading players, it comes at a cost, right? Because you're moving to that fate tile instead of tiles that you need to be moving to to meet your win condition. So that could be a little tricky. Uh, I, I think I would just need to play it more. And I think that uh, that's a game that maybe you play over multiple rounds because a lot of averages will kind of smooth out some of those rough edges that, that a one-off experience with Villainous could give you. Thematically, it's beautiful. The box is beautiful. The card art is beautiful. Uh, and for a Disney game, I think that that's one of the main reasons that you're coming to it is to, you know, get that like uh, immersive Disney experience. And I think that uh, Villainous gets that, right? Yeah. Uh, they achieve that. Uh, for sure. I think that the way that I would best explain away the good and the bad is that it is it is really a lot like playing a preset magic deck in a lot of cases and if you if yeah, you were, if you were sure. going to like you know play if you're going to go like if you were going to go out and buy a two preset magic starter decks and play them once uh then you might be like yep i played magic and i didn't like it this time this person got you know their win condition um and it's not really like like it it, it, it there's always going to be that element of of randomness like it's you can't have it necessarily that like the deck has both people like you know have to draw into the same amount of their deck to get their win condition kind of stuff but uh if you were playing two players the game would go quicker so at the very least, you'd be able to play like multiple rounds, just like you said, and the randomness would go down, and you get a better, better idea of like the interesting synergies in the decks and how they all play so differently. Yeah, for sure. And I want to play more. I want to see the other characters that I didn't get to play or that I didn't really understand. Uh, I I don't know that I like Captain Hook. I I actually and... like Captain Hook a lot, but for yeah, for the so most part, I'd... there seems like. Like, it's not across the board. There is, like, balance issues with how quickly some characters uh, can get to their win conditions. There's also balance issues in uh, the Fate decks, it seems like. Uh, some of it is kind of offset. So, for example, like, Ursula is an interesting character because she'll just kind of overall, like, she will eventually win. And there's not really... Ulti like like you can slow her down but she will win and there's other characters like queen of hearts where uh like they can just they can win much faster uh and much speedier if you're not always slowing them down um so there's like some inherent balance to like knowing how often you have to mess with other players in their different decks or if they're slower if you can like let them be for a little while while you work on yourself um but yeah, I mean, yeah, I... It's, it's, it's a game that obviously, like Magic, improves the more you know about all the cards and what everyone might be capable of at any moment. Uh, but at the same time, like you don't have direct ways of interacting with them, and that is something that you do have in Magic. Yeah, you kind of interact indirectly interact with them through the Fate deck, um, which can be good or bad because there there are times where. Uh, you can draw two conditional fate cards. So like one of the, we were talking just to make this a little bit more clear and in, in, inside baseball, -y, is that if the only real way 
you can negatively like you can take that and slow down another player from running away with the game is to to do this fate action you have this like asymmetrical board and it also these different places similar to a scythe it's like four segmented areas that you go to you can't go back to the same spot really um but there's there's these options for fading on the board so you have to so you make a conscious choice before you move the the character pawn like I want to go to this space. Maybe it's not the best space right now, but I, I really need to slow down the enemy. And then you draw from their fate deck. You can draw uh, conditional fate cards. Uh, you can draw like cards, for example, like buffs to the heroes, which are like you're playing as villains. So like you can be uh, Captain Hook and fighting TikTok, the uh, the uh, crocodile, I guess, or is an alligator. I think it's a crocodile. Um, and uh tiktok croc dude yeah and uh and there there can be stuff like you know you can draw a buff card that makes that character stronger but what if you draw like two buff cards and that happens where you draw two things that are like attached this to one of the heroes um but if you but if they don't have a hero out at the time then you could have you know, gone here purposely to fate someone and then you know luck of the draw in a card game drew two things that really couldn't work and you kind of wasted your your turn to slow people down. So there is a lot of that. I don't think that, that like, I, I would never argue that, like, this is the perfect game uh, and that it's, like, flawless. But uh, I, I think that... Yeah, also, there's no, like, matchups, right? Because of the way Fate decks work, they it, it, it's sort of, like, um, an easy way for them to not worry about actually balancing characters out. I, I assume that when they were balancing this game, they just said, okay, what's the average number of turns that this player can, that this character can win in? Uh, okay, is it okay? Fifteen? Okay, all the other characters need to also, you know, average win rate, average uh, win time is fifteen turns or whatever. Yeah, because like the, with the way fate decks work, you're not actually. It's not like it's actually Ursula versus Captain Hook, right? It's it's like Ursula is playing and Captain Hook is playing. And they're fighting their own separate heroes, and so, so that's another thing that makes it different. It's like there's no such thing as like a good or bad matchup in this game. Yeah, which is still interesting. It's I I, I still I still there there's there's so much value to the the this the the core premise of villainous in my eyes of of a uh, of a preset uh like card game deck with like interesting synergies. Uh, where the enemies play a preset versus like counter deck against you, and uh, I just I like the way it works. I've I've played that game a, a whole ton. It might be the game that I have played the most, which is insane. Um, and that is pretty wild. And I don't regret it. I figured it, it would have been like Street Fighter or something. Well, the um, the, the yeah, you know the P yeah. game, the, the game I gotcha. the game I I peed the most uh is is definitely uh villainous well well it's definitely better than my most played game which is munchkin that's true played a lot of munchkin okay so so yeah i think i think play more villainous i think it's a good uh game play that, it, it's that, easy enough you, yeah it's easy enough to explain and uh i think the the more you play it the more you'll you'll go into you'll you'll find that that right tone for where you want to play it at that like you're you can bust it out and you're always going to have a i feel like you always have a pretty good experience it's always pretty fun one thing that's that's cool about villainous is that they're going to be able to uh create expansions for villainous that are standalone 
essentially every villainous box will be standalone and that's pretty cool yeah and and it's also pretty cool obviously that uh it's such an easy thing to expand because you don't really like I, i i would i would wonder if they would ever add anything onto what would be called the core game you know like i would wonder if they would ever add cards that you would allow to like swap in or change other cards uh i don't know if i think that might be a little too much um i think that probably the easiest thing and the thing that they will do um is just release new villains and add even more variety to the game but um it's a really cool game it kind of i I feel like it gets talked down a lot and and it's a lot it's so much more competent than than i think a lot of people notice and that art style is great the art style is fantastic. I love the, the the cards look amazing. The colors of the cards, the card backs have this like interesting hue, these darker hues that are representative of the characters. And there's all this like a uh, uh, gold trim on everything. Uh, the the artwork is like gorgeous high res shots from the films. Uh, it just it's it like you said it's it is very thematic. It's very evocative of that. If you're pe- people who like Disney. I think that it it really does a successful job of like you just have a lot of memories or something tying you to Peter Pan. And as you play this Captain Hook deck, you'll just see all this card art of Captain Hook and all this stuff related to Captain Hook. And that is just really cool. That, that can't be under that can't be understated. That is really cool. So I don't know where you want to go from here because we've played a lot of games uh, since the last time that we hung out. We've also played another round of Gaia Project. Yeah. Um. But we don't have to dwell on Gaia Project. I, like, we, we, I, I, I think I think I would want to mention it again. Um, Gaia Project just seems to me like maybe the game that is at this point my the backbone of what I want the most in games, which is weird for yeah. me to say. It's it, it it's uncomfortable for me to say because everything in my body wants to turn me away from Gaia project. I just, it it is a, it is very fiddly. It is a huge mess of components. It is very frustrating to set up. I feel like, um, I I would rather like, I would have almost rather there just been a core board like there was for Terra Mystica. Um, but, but outside of all that, this, the, everything we talk about with Gaia project, like hyper asymmetrical, races i think the playtime is very good i think the game is very thinky um i i really love planning out multiple turns in advance uh the the more that we play it the more that i feel like it has it does in fact have a very good balance of of take that like you aren't playing a solitaire as much as it might seem like especially with people who start to understand the game more because i've noticed like in, in in the beginning, we just didn't understand these like more universal mechanics like cycling power for the one time round things or burning uh, quantum intelligence cubes for one time round things. But those end up being a part of take that of like looking over to other players and seeing that they really need money right now and they're really going to go for this thing. And it's going to re- it's just going to absolutely devastate them if they can't. Uh, grab this one-time round thing for for money because they just undersold their economy like that. Um, so, just so much about the game uh, I find enjoyable at this point. I haven't won it, but I I have I have never come away from that game not just absolutely like entranced in thoughts of like what if I did this? And it also is just a really good board game because 
some board games you lose and you have really no idea where you went wrong. And I think Gaia Project is a game where I always come away from it, learning a little bit more about the systems, understanding points where I went wrong, and w- really wanting to go into another game uh, with that information uh, at the at the forefront of my brain. You know, like that. I, that I think it's a game that you can really learn a lot from, and you understand where you went wrong. I've won every time, so I don't know where I went wrong. Yeah. Just wanted to put that out there. Uh-huh. Uh but man, I I just have a lot of I just have a lot of fun with that game. I it's it's hard to state the amount of fun that I have with that game. Uh It's it's really awesome. So, what else have we played? Cuz I I did mention Brass Birmingham, but I but we have played a couple other things. Is there anything else that bears mentioning? No. We played Terraforming Mars, but we got to that already in the digital section. Yeah, I mean to reiterate on that quick, I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm still shocked at how much better that game was than I thought it was going to be. And I understand it being top four on Board Game Geek. I don't think it's in my top four, but I'm I'm happy to have it. Also, I'm wondering if there are some things that like when we started playing that, it seemed pretty like simple, and I taught it to like Charlene instantly. But you know, I, I recently had a friend of the show, Kevin Cruz, over, and I was like, yeah, let's play Terraforming Mars. And it actually took like a while for him to totally understand what was going on. And I don't think that that's the fault of Terraforming Mars, but I I think it also speaks to how often board games borrow concepts from other board games. And uh, we are so acclimated to the space at this point that we don't realize how complicated some of this stuff is. It's kind of weird because uh, that's, that's a very interesting thing to bring up. Uh, the thing that made me really gravitate to board games in the beginning, and one thing that I kept throwing out was that it's there. Every board game is its own beast. So uh, unlike video games, um, if you have a great, uh, you know, ex- like a background of playing shooters, then maybe when Overwatch comes out, you you know how to play it really well. And even people who uh, it's it's hard for people to to play it because it's it's a lot like especially games like that a lot of video games are based on like a mechanical skill like just practicing something over and over again and there ends up being such a language that even games that don't have like hyper mechanical skill like zelda can just be like impossible for a lot of people who haven't played don't have a background in video games because the language of everything and what video games are looking for and and the the way that video gamers acclimate to rules and understand what designers are looking for them to do next just becomes second nature and with board games you'd think is that you know every board game you open up is its own beast so so playing 100 hours of Gaia Project shouldn't translate much to opening up Brass Birmingham and reading the rules for this completely different thing but there is a a core or mystica, right? Yeah, there is a well that's that's kind of unfair, <laughs> but that's kind of unfair, but but yeah, like there is a core to board games that after after a certain amount of time you understand like like uh different lexicons or different general mechanics and how they work. Um but that that doesn't always pay off for you. Sometimes uh you can play a game where the balance of things are different and you think like, oh, this is a this is an economy game Then I'm going to go really hard into one type of economy. And that's what pays off in these types of games. And then maybe it's a game where, no, you kind of want to, you know, have your hand in a bunch of different uh, pots or barrels or whatever. Um, but, but there is a core. 
there is a core to to board games that that as you understand more board games that people can say you know, that that explaining a new board game uh, can get some, sort of simpler uh, or is, or also just you you start to understand like designer lexicon a little bit better right like you can start to look at boards and uh, see different symbols and pick up on symbols quicker and understand how that like relate translates. Or people can just do the simple thing of like, oh, this is this this mechanic works exactly like you would think it was would from this other game we play a lot. And then someone can say, oh yeah, okay, I get it, without having yeah. really it to be like broken down and explained. And that doesn't happen too often. Mm-hmm. But I do like the idea of this is your player board and it tells you whatever this this gives you everything you need to know. This is your command center because yeah. some games have th- but. But the thing that was weird about Brass Birmingham is that some stuff is on the player board and some stuff is on the reference cards, but not all of it. So, for example, there was an action in Brass Birmingham that had a cost, and that cost was not covered on the reference cards. It that, wasn't yeah. covered anywhere. There's, there is, like, for as much as I would say positive about that game, I would definitely start out by saying that, that like, I, I could not disagree with a single thing that Shut Up and Sit Down said about it, which just, you know... I. I, I, I hate to always say it, but like if if you're ever getting into board games, just watch Shut Up and Sit Down, pretty much. But um, they 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 had a pretty uh, glowing review of it, and they talked a lot about how uh, like complex, interwoven it is, and at the same time, it ends up being kind of fiddly because you have all these different resources that work in very very different ways, and there's some weird things that like I don't think that we grokked the first time, or and some of that is on me as the board game bearer, um, but. But also, I, I, I think it's th- this is a whole other topic is like I just as a learner, I'm like more of, of like a visual learner. So I, I need to have the board game in front of me and then to to try and take an action then to see like, wait, hold on. I'm not even sure like what the costs for this action are, or if it makes any sense right now. I really need to see the whole like the whole engine all at once moving to understand the cogs. Uh, and it's hard to be to be taught the cogs without understanding the whole engine first so when there's these little fiddly rules like one of the actions it, it, it's a game as you said that has a player board you're developing industries and one of the actions you can is like there's these different tiers of industries that are represented by different tiles there's different tiles at different tiers which if your head's spinning I, I get it um uh that'll be like for the cotton industry is like there's you know four tiles on the first one and then three tiles on the next one so maybe what you'd want to do is since the the typically the uh the the payoff gets better further down the line what you'd want to do is get rid of earlier things before you start building um so you can do a develop action developing lets you take tiles off the board so that when you develop since you develop from the lowest available tile if any of this again yep. is making your head spin, uh, it, it just makes it so it's a little bit more efficient. You know, you, instead of actually building those things to get them on the board, so you can get to the tiles below them yeah. that are better. You, you know what's funny is that we've gotten this far and we haven't even talked about what the game is about or what you're doing with the board. We talked about the player board, but I think it's actually more important to understand uh, the infrastructure of the game, like the overall premise and what you're doing. Sure. Uh, so essentially, you are a industry mogul, and you play as different famous industry moguls 
in the beginning of the industrial era. Is that right? That is that is correct. And uh, as we're explaining this, I I want to have a little. Uh, I I am developing a real appreciation for games that are almost built around real life rules, um, and and stuff like that. Uh, I got a kind of twinge uh, 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 when I was reading the uh, Terraforming Mars manual because Terraforming Mars is an engine game, but it, it bases all of its mechanics off of real reality, like astrophysics and terraforming like different scientific things so i really loved the developer manual breaking these things down like oh this would this is exactly how uh livable different areas on earth would be with different types of oxygen levels and similarly brass birmingham uh is set in this era and it really plays to those rules in an interesting way but yes go on you are playing as an industry mogul so one thing that's cool is that yeah you are building you know Ryan, earlier you talked about these player boards. So what you're doing is you are building buildings, right? You're, factories, you're putting right? Coal, coal factories, coal mines, rather. You're putting coal mines or iron smelting factories or beer production for whatever reason. The Breweries. Beer it's a big, huge super, thing. Super uh, important. Uh, cotton. Because you need to – I love the idea of like you need to sell cotton to the merchant, but you need to gift him – a barrel of beer to sweeten the deal. Otherwise, he will not trade with you. Okay, so I Th- think that was ba- that the 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 me- the meaning for that is that you would make a big, massive money transaction over drinks, as customary in the time. That sounds good enough to me. But 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 essentially, the cool thing about this is that you are building these. Uh, you know, you're building these uh, buildings in these cities. Uh, that throws me off saying buildings, buildings. But yeah, you're, you're bu- building. You're building industry. You're building. You know, in- industrial. Yeah, factories. Works. You're building factories in these cities, and then you are also building uh, connections between cities. And and the thing that's nice is that as you build up the infrastructure. It also helps out everybody else at the table. So if you create a canal line between uh, Birmingham and uh, Coalshire, then everybody <laughs> sure. else can use that as well. Yeah. There was actually like a place in that game called like Coal's, like Coal Town, something like really ridiculous. Why not? Like but the thing that's neat is that you're getting points off of it, but you're also helping other people at the table. And part of the game is thinking, will they, won't they build a line there so that I can benefit before they get a chance to take it. And and one of the things that I also thought was really cool is the way turn selection works in this. Because if you're smart, you can take two turns before somebody else gets in their turn. And you can sort of use that to play off of uh, an action that you're going to take where you think to yourself, I need to build the line to this merchant, but I need to do it before they can act so i need to spend enough money this round so that i play first next round so that i can get to the merchant before my opponent does and that's really cool yeah to to clarify that uh round uh order is picked by the amount you spend you spend whatever you're spending in the game goes directly on top of your character marker and at the end of the round you are basically breaking down how much people spent and the the most uh, affluent or the the highest spenders go first. So yes, there is a there is a that becomes a, a massive consideration with a because it, there's no set turn yeah. order. It becomes a huge consideration for like exactly what you said. 
like having a make or break my strategy is based off of doing this thing and this thing but another player is set to swoop in to do that so i need to like plan in advance but that game the the whole game has uh is is full of that uh as as far as games go i i you know we we talk about like uh board games having that like ah that's a nice move thing uh and i think brass was like full of things that were like just absolutely gobstopping like my ltcp did something early on that was like a brutal uh turn against me and then i did a, a similarly brutal turn against her that was multiple rounds in the making that i like well, I'll, I'll explain that later. I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but... And in the same way, I built up this... At the end of the game, I built up this delicate house of cards where I'm accounting, I'm counting the uh, actions that I have left in the game and sort of rehearsing to myself what I was going to be doing to make sure that I got it right. And if anybody had come in and had poked just one thing, my entire house of cards would have just collapsed. But nobody did, so I got to win because uh, it worked just as rehearsed. But it was really uh, close. Very sleek, yeah. It was a really surprisingly close game. No one really ran away with it. Um, so, so, I mean, where where to start? Like, you explained some of the basics of, like... One of the things that I think is really cool is that the game happens over two eras. So the first half of the game happens in the canal era, where there's all of these areas where you can't get to yet because they're only accessible by rails. So you have to take longer routes to certain cities to get there. Uh, and also you can build more primitive, simple buildings, uh, the tier one buildings. Uh, and then, and, it, and also it's really easy to build connections between different cities. But once you get into the second phase of the game, the railroad era, uh, you have way quicker access to every to all of the different towns because everything is connected by um however rails are more expensive to build because they take coal so it, it sort of shifts the economy around because building links becomes more challenging but at the same time it puts a greater demand on coal so if you are the one who's putting out all the coal factories you really stand to benefit yeah um where can I break down like all the things that I appreciate? I think that one of the things I would want to go back to immediately is that the the game's uh, amount of rounds and the the turns are basically are are broken down by how much many cards are in this deck. Every action you do, regardless of of anything like passing itself, uh, costs an action. So uh, you are you are always aware of how much time is left um once the the main deck runs out uh you just run out of the cards and since you're using two cards you can kind of you always can determine how many more turns you'll be allowed to do uh, i really appreciate that i feel like the game overall i'm surprised at at uh, the game is as complex as it was it felt like it was at a the amount of time to play uh made a lot of sense and I was always, it kept moving, and I was always very well aware of how far in the game we were at the time. You know what I mean? I appreciate, yeah, I, I do appreciate that a lot. Um, the one thing, and I don't know if this will be problematic for the game yet, but there's not a lot of randomness to the startup. 
I guess I, I mean there is kind of a lot of randomness because you're building off of uh you you there's two different types of cards which are the main since everything in the game is basically determined by these cards uh there's location cards which allow you to always build something at that location or industry cards which if you have like connection and like an like people in that area uh you know you already have land in that area or nearby uh you can build off of it you have connections to it um but uh, those will determine kind of like how things start out, I guess, in the beginning, what things are efficient. And one of the biggest things is that the core thing that gets randomized from the initial setup uh, is that these merchants, which are play a huge role determining uh, where you want to build uh, your factories, because you want to sell these merchants to make uh, some of the biggest amount of return on points. Um, get randomized so that would cause different you know values of different areas especially like pottery for example like which merchants will take pottery ends up being a a very big consideration because pottery in itself is just like this massive point earner so if you can get a good location uh that has a pottery area and a merchant then it could be very high value fair enough um so different things i like i mean yeah some board games don't play well on that first playthrough, right? Yeah, for sure. Right? But I actually felt that Brass, because of the two era situation, you sort of get like a refresh in the middle of the game. Yeah. And that refresh, you've learned some things. And, and I feel like it makes that first playthrough more palatable. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to have these two rounds that kind of work in different ways. The, the second round is much more cutthroat. And that's kind of interesting because the first round is is tamer and it allows people to like slowly ease into the game to start kind of building up for what they're going to really be doing in the next round and it it also keeps people kind of together like you can't really jump out that far ahead in the beginning um and then in going to the second round it get it becomes much more like like bigger points bigger industry stuff like more income uh more like links to every area and i i really do appreciate that i do i do think that that does add a lot of it to have this like almost like playing the the game once stopping for a second to reset the board slightly to go into like a more cutthroat version of the same game it it, it does yeah, really I help things like this a lot. also yeah it would be an awesome game to play at uh two players Mm-hmm. Because I th- because in two players, not only are you getting to your turns faster, but you're making a bigger network. Like you're having more impact. More turns there's overall, more right? More considerations, yeah. Because the game length, well, there's fewer cards I think in a two player game. They get two, but I feel two like player. Get more uh, two players, ten turns per round. Uh, three player is nine, and four player is eight. We played at four player, which was uh, it was good. It was good. I think that it plays well at four, but I'd love to see it at uh, the different player levels. I, I do. I'd I, like to see it at two. I do really like it at uh, at other player levels. I think that like some of the most interesting thing of it is that there, if you really look at it, uh, the different industries are broken down in, in kind of different ways. There's some that you're just kind of selling that don't have any value to the other players. Uh, something like a cotton mill or pottery. Pottery is like this, like, you know, point or like a uh, re- high risk, high reward um, type of industry. 
where you really need to make like a big sale with it, but it doesn't really help out other players. And then there's also these the coal and iron uh, industries where other players will be using they're they're not big point earners or anything, but they can kind of be good for income. Um, and you're you're putting uh, every whenever you put down these tiles, you're putting down a certain number of resources of either the coal or the iron, and the the game people can utilize or beer actually and people can utilize your coal iron or beer on your spots and i think that's really interesting it feels kind of it's it's kind of interesting to like play this economy based game where you doing those things can set people up for turns but also it feels good on your own because then you get to flip over those tiles and score points off of them so that's kind of i i really like that like when you're not playing if you when you're when it's not your turn and you put down like a big coal mine or or ironworks and to like watch people like doing an action and like you know kind of rubbing your hands together hoping that they'll draw from yours is is really exciting actually it's cool to yeah, have like absolutely. like the industry breakdown of like stuff that it I, I really like the overall balance like like there, there's there, there's a cool there's a cool like disconnect between those things of like stuff that helps out other players also helps out you a lot in interesting ways like i i think we kind of noticed early on that a huge point winner in the game we played just ended up being connections uh just the, these like link tiles either connecting areas with canals in the beginning of the game or even more so uh rails with the end of the game uh is a way for you to score off of other players but it's kind of cool because it it value it makes everyone kind of interested in creating these links, which helps out other players. It's kind of cool to like score that much off of something that can facilitate other people's strategies. It kind of helps the whole game keep moving, and it rewards you in a in a big way. You know, this probably sounds so boring to people who don't care about board games because it's like building railroads and building cotton factories. But just talking about all this makes me want to play it more. Yeah, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of exciting things in it. It's it's weird to be at a point where like this is the kind of stuff that I like in board games. But uh, oh, and I wanted to go back to like how funny it is that uh, that the uh, the the way iron and coal works is like time appropriate is that coal was required in large quantities, so it'd have to be shipped either by the the boats and the canals or by rails. And iron was typically carried by horses because it traveled in smaller quantities. And so that plays this like big part in the way that the resources work. Uh, if you build an iron mine, anyone can pull from any iron mine across the board. Or if they need to use it from like the overall bank, uh, they can buy it anywhere without any restrictions. Whereas coal requires this like network to get it either from a coal mine or directly from someone else. So like just little stuff like that, I, I really appreciate. It is like... We've been talking about it. I don't know how much a good job of we're, we're doing explaining it, but there's so many little aspects of that game that I just find so interesting. Um, it's it, to I think one of the best ways to explain like big cool turns. It, it, it you know that's how you explain why someone would like a game. So uh, there was this there for for me. Uh, one of the things that I was the most proud of was that there was an area that my LTCP and I were kind of building in in this upper right corner of the map. Uh, there was a merchant that was a really good merchant because the merchant would buy either like cotton pottery or um, manufactured goods. They'd buy anything. So they buy they'll buy anything. Um, so it's a it's a, it's prime real estate, and 
uh, there was a pottery tile on this one spot, but I couldn't get to it. Uh, I didn't have any pottery uh, cards, and I didn't have any location cards for that area. So I kind of knew, like, I can't get that big payoff. But what I wanted to do was that I built a manufacturing tile in one nearby area, and I built a brewery in the area right next to uh, this, uh, this, this merchant, all the sales require, uh, beer to, you know, to sit down and talk to the merchant or whatever thematic thing. So, uh, what I did was I planned turns in advance, knowing that someone would try and grab this pottery tile and eventually my LTCP did. Uh, and then after she had done that, I spent a ton of money to make sure that I would go before she would to be able to put down the last link linking the uh me and my manufacturing goods to that merchant consuming the uh bonus beer uh from that merchant and forcing her to when her turn she would still be able to sell her pottery but she'd have to flip over my beer so it was a really like interesting thing to like plan like what ended up being like three turns in advance knowing that like i need i want to put down a brewery and i'm not going to consume the beer i want to make it so that someone else uses my beer to sell their pottery that's just i don't know i thought that was a really cool moment that like i was proud of myself for for thinking of it that far in advance and it for it actually working out yeah so that is brass that is Uh, brass it is it is so pretty looking like i know that we we also i feel like we're pretty critical of the way games look right like yeah we should be terraforming mars not a very pretty game gaia project maybe the ugliest game we still like it but it's pretty damn ugly but brass is beautiful yeah let's the box is beautiful the box is small it's small it's like this gorgeous linen finished like mostly white box that that has like really exemplary like typeface lettering and just looks gorgeous and like you said very small and compact uh which fits like a big heavy game into it uh the components are fantastic i know that shut up and sit down mentioned this but uh one of the big things that it has going for it is that the components add a lot to the readability um iron which can be used from anywhere on the board, are these bright orange cubes, which are instantly visible as you look over the board. Because uh, if you're if you're focusing in on one area where, where coal has to be connected, coal there are these black cubes. You you need to look at a smaller area, so it's fine maybe if the coal is a little bit less visible. But iron being used across the entire board, and you have to pull from other people's ironworks, being these bright orange cubes that pop out uh really uh adds a lot to the readability and in the same way uh beer one of the most important uh of the resources in uh, it's it's in a big scarcity and it's also what people need to make their big point jumps by selling uh uh industry to uh, their factories off to these merchants uh are these adorable little wooden kegs so it's cool to have the different uh, components uh, be di- uh, different types of components. Like you have the 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 iron and coal cubes that look very different. And then you have the 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 easiest thing to, that stands out is those beer kegs, which is something that's like important to be able to look across the map to see there's still a beer keg on this merchant, so you can get the bonus off of it. Or if you want to make a big sale, you need to know that there's beer connected to your network. Absolutely. I want to talk about another beautiful game that comes in a small box. 
and that's Secret Hitler. I knew you would. So one of the best feelings as someone who is kind of a curator, right? Like we invite people over and we curate an experience for them where we take something off of our shelves and we present it to people and, you know, we do it for our own enjoyment, but also as hosts, we hope that other people enjoy it. Right. So yeah, you hope that it's the right game for the right group. Right. Cause then everyone wins. Yes. So one of my favorite moments of yesterday is when Priya ate the rainbow cookie from Rudy's. <laughs> that was a, you, because Priya said that, you know, I don't like rainbow cookies. And then she ate the rainbow, the rainbow cookie. And she said, this is a really good rainbow cookie. Yeah. I love rainbow cookies though. And, and that was a really good rainbow cookie. And one of the things that gives me like a feeling of pride and satisfaction is when I serve people something like I, I serve them the rainbow cookie or the pie from Rudy's, which are just like excellent or, or in the same way I, I serve them secret Hitler, right? Where I, I show this game to Priya and she says, I'm going to steal that game from you. That, that makes it's a good feeling, right? To know that you've provided the right experience to the right group of people. And that's how I felt yesterday when we pulled out Secret Hitler yeah. and played it three times. Yeah, that you're pushing someone to theft. Also, uh, you, it, it always would feel good when you when you bring out a game and you finish it and then you're almost like going to be like, okay, that was that game. Should I pack it up? And then you have like a resounding no from the table of like, no, hold on, one more time. One more game. And that's sort of what you get with Secret Hitler because uh, the roles are always changing, but there is like this meta that carries over between game to game. And it's something that, that Alyssa even noticed where Alyssa was a fascist the first round. Which uh, was, so she was might, have, might be one of the most all-time greatest acts I've ever seen in a board game. Top 10 anime betrayals. Right it was there. a top 10 anime betrayal. Uh, your, so Alyssa uh, played... Uh, what seemed to be, from all outsiders, a, a game where she didn't understand the rules. She, That's she, what it seemed like, right? She, like you and I, early on, were had had figured out that we are liberals to be trusted. Like we had both tested each other. We're both passing all these liberal things, having no you know qualms about it. We're we're passing liberal laws. We're we're fine, and and we we both recognize that early on. So the real wild cards became Paul. Priya and Alyssa and I think I don't know what gave us this this intention early on maybe she had passed a, a, a liberal law but early on we're like Paul's evil and then Priya was just playing this strange game where it was so hard to tell what she was what side she was on so she kind of seemed untrustworthy too so we kind of like you know determined that it must have been Paul and Priya working together as fascists um, and that Alyssa must have been the last liberal right but she just was playing so badly yeah, there's three liberals, a fascist, and a Hitler, right? Yeah. So the table, there's got to be, you know, when you are a liberal, you know that sitting with you at the table are two friends and two enemies, but you don't know who anybody is. So we thought, I thought that you were a liberal, and I thought the other liberal was Alyssa. I did too. I don't know what had initially made me so sure of this. I don't know if it was just the... At the very beginning of the game... I gave her a fascist and I gave her a liberal and she voted for liberal. And I was like, great. That makes sense. That's Ooh, good. She knows how to play the game. And that's the thing. Like she seemed like she knew how to play the game. Uh, and Priya, 
actually said um, she voted no on people who seemed like you and I, right? Like she thought you were a fascist. Uh, there was no reason to think that you were a fascist. So out of the gate, she votes no when we're electing you. So then she says, I'm just trying to, I'm going to nine anyone who I think is a liberal. And it was a mistake with her words, but I latched onto it and I just thought Priya is a, Priya is definitely a, uh, a fascist, right? Yeah. And Paul is a terrible liar. We'll get to that. But Paul is such a bad liar that when he plays cockroach poker, he doesn't look at the cards that he's passing along because that's how bad a liar he is. If he knew the truth, he wouldn't be able to lie. So in Secret Hitler, he's very bad as a fascist because he just can't lie. So it was very obvious that he was a fascist. So then it's, is Alyssa the fascist or is Priya the fascist? Then Alyssa, at one point, elects Paul as her chancellor. And then we said, why would you do that? And she says, I don't know. I'm just trying to shake things up. I just thought she was really bad at playing the game. I just didn't think she understood the core mechanic. And Priya voted yes for it. <laughs> Which made me think Priya's a fascist. We had, a, so we had all wild I? cards at that table. They made it interesting. For sure. That's the kind of game you want. Uh, in those type of games, I am usually the first person to get shot. Not this time, but in general, I'm always the first person to get shot because I talk too much. No matter what role I am, liberal, fascist, Hitler, I always talk too much. And even when I'm a fascist, I'm accusing other people of being fascists. Yeah, and I don't that's, know what, that's what, actually how what I played. But the way that you play is you just try to get Priya shot. That's not... pretty messed up. I don't know what that says about your relationship dynamic that in these uh, games where sometimes you guys are fully aware that you're on the same team, but you're always trying to get the other one shot. Well, I was trying to there was one point in the second game where we were uh, Priya was Hitler and I was a fascist and uh, the best way we could do without lying was basically to like act like we were liberals but we didn't trust each other from the beginning we were like like i was like like you know i still don't trust you from the last game uh even though she was she ended up being a liberal because i just thought she was hitler the whole time uh and she was like maybe i am maybe i'm not and doing this almost the same weird coy play that she did in the first time so we thought that like people would trust me and it did end up working out a couple times so like like, for example, Alyssa gave me a liberal and a fascist, and I passed the fascist and said that a liberal gave, Alyssa gave me two fascists. And then she just didn't say anything about it, which, like, helped me about helped me out a lot. Uh, but it was a way that I could, like, if people trusted me and were like, yeah, they're, he's definitely a liberal, then we need to keep getting him elected chancellor so that I could keep, like, getting the choice between policies. But but Priya was, the, was Hitler. Yeah. So it was more important for Priya... To be to, trustworthy, to be for her yeah, to be the one, and, and that's and that's where you guys fell short because what should have happened is you should have purposely made a fatal mistake somewhere, and then people would have trusted Priya because she was at your throat the whole game. Yeah, so there's a lot of ways to play this. I mean, that it, make these social deduction games interesting. And the thing that I like about these this uh, Secret Hitler over other games is that your role doesn't change. 
it's one of the things that is so weird and chaotic about like uh, secrets and and uh, werewolf is just that at parts of the game you don't know who you are, so you don't even know if the actions that you're doing are helping you. Yeah, um, I, I I really appreciate Secret Hitler because the core of and we haven't played Resistance Avalon, but the core of a good social deduction game should be what you said. You you know what you are from the beginning. Maybe you don't even know who's on your team, but you know what you are and it's not changing. And then the other core is that the game should last long enough that there's context to actions that you would have that even from what people are that that you're trying to decide not only from what people are saying, but from the actions that they're doing. And in a game like Secrets, uh, since the game ends up being so random, you first of all don't even understand what team you're on, and it's hard to determine like what the actions the other people are doing, if they're good or bad, or why they would be doing them anyway. So it ends up being like like failing a little bit as a social deduction game and being more like the Mario Party of social deduction, uh, or maybe a Mario Kart. Um, and uh, Secret Hitler is something where the game lasts a good amount of time that you can like not only through words start to try and piece together who people are, why they would be doing what they're doing. It adds more context to their actions. Absolutely. And, and, and that's another thing is the best way to win in these games is to keep your story straight. Never, never do a step change. That's what it's really about. Never, never do a heel turn because I was able to win the third game against Priya because Priya was a fascist and she could not keep her story straight. Right, True. like she she said, like, oh, you passed this fascist policy, uh, and 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 I was calling her out because she was the one who gave me the three fascist tiles, and then I played one of them, and I said, yes, I played the fascist policy because you didn't give me a choice. Do you not remember that you were the chancellor, and that is what what exposed her, and the fact that she, yeah, and the fact that she was also palling with Alyssa, destroyed them both. Right, it destroyed yeah. them both. But that is a that is a really neat game and and uh, yeah. Speaking of components, like you have the most yeah. beautiful components for that game. And the, we absolutely have to play that game at a higher count. Yeah, the we tiles get, are incredible for that. We we ha- yeah the we artwork. have to get to a we have to get to where we're playing as a group of seven at least because once you get to the higher player counts, there is this interesting dynamic of Hitler does not know who the fascists are. So not only does Hitler have to avoid detection as Hitler, but he also has to suss out who is on his team. The other fascists all know who Hitler is, but Hitler doesn't know who they are. And that's a really cool dynamic. Yeah. Hopefully we can do that soon. Hopefully we can get another Brass Birmingham as well. And then we played Cockroach Poker, which is just like super simple, pretty smooth, and just like I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It, it creates it a lot of laughs. Like straight, it is a straight bluffing game. And the thing that I like so much about it is that there, you sort of develop a meta around the different cards. Like some cards end up being more powerful than others just because of the way that the table reacts to them. Yeah. So, so like the stink bug card is so powerful in cockroach poker just because it's fun to say stink bug over, over saying like, this is a fly or this is a cockroach. It's like, no, this is a stink bug. <laughs> and it's sort of like, it makes the stink bugs like more fun, like more cool. And I feel like everybody who plays like every group that plays cockroach poker probably has like a different 
experience with the different suits of cards, even though there's actually no tangible difference in what they do. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of cool different things about that game. I really like the fact that like you see what, so you're, there's these different suits of cards, like flies, rats, stink bug. Uh, and when you pass the card, you, you basically have this big hand of all these different suits of cards and you're passing a card face down to someone and saying, this is a stink bug. And if they say, yes, it is a stink, weirdly enough, if they say, yes, it is a stink bug, then you get it back and it goes up in front, uh, on your, in front of you. And if they say, no, this isn't a stink bug, uh, they, uh, they take it. Um, and the other thing they can do is they can look at it or what Paul does is just pass it to someone else and say that it's something else or say, yeah, it is, it is this thing. But the main thing is that you're, you're saying it's this one suit and someone either says that they believe you. And if they do, then you get punished. Or if they don't believe you and it was the suit you said, then, uh, they get punished. Um, but the main thing is that you can't get to four of any suit. So it also does create, there, there is also a thing where, the game, the value of cards has there's no value to anything because they're all the same, uh, the same amounts of different cards in the suit. So there's no reason, and they don't have any different effects. But you do create it does create a game where, over time, uh, someone might be getting a lot of like rat cards. So the whole concept of like passing someone a, a card saying it is a rat or something like that uh, gets to be more and more dangerous for them. And the different value, like the values or danger the risks associated with each card kind of starts to go up for different players. And I like that a lot. And there's all these funny moments. Like I remember at one point Priya, no, it was, I think it was Paul passed me a scorpion. He said, this is a, he, well, he said, this is a scorpion. I didn't look at the card and I passed it to you. And I said, this is a stink bug. <laughs> and you said, this is not a stink bug. And it was, <laughs> I didn't look at the card, but I knew it was a stink bug because I knew that that's the kind of move that Paul would make. Pretty bonkers. That game is full and, of it. The game is full yeah. of funny moments. I don't even know how. I don't even know how such a simple game like it, the game is literally just like suits of cards. Couldn't you basically just? You could almost just play that with like you know getting like two decks of regular playing cards and say like this is an ace or something you know or like this is clubs. Uh, stuff like that like it's such a simple basic game that comes in a tiny box that has a lot more impact than it should and it's really underrated like i think on bgg it's at like a six or lower weird it is deserving of a lot more it's a very cool game it's a great filler and those are important fillers are really important actually i need i need some fillers um i guess that's it right yeah that was this was a this was a jam-packed episode two hours but some of that, a lot of that's getting cut for for uh, taking a break and stuff like that. But yes, we had a. I feel like we had a, a pretty full full cast, not only of games but of tabletop games. Like we and, we ran a gamut. And I really hope that next week that you can uh, come through and maybe we could get a Great Western Trail or Anachrony or Terra Mystica, and hopefully Terraforming Mars or Brass Lancashire, Birmingham. Sorry, we're not going to Lancaster. Lancastershire. Uh, WTDGpodcast.com at sign WTDGpodcast iTunes or your other podcasting software. What's the deal with games? Rate, comment, subscribe. Thank you very much, Ryan Galloway. I am crying for the use of your music. We use the intro and outro revive off new album Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can, Fleeting Gales. You can find them at the Rumpf Cover Bandcamp.
Um, do we have anything funny to say? It's been so long since that we podcasted. I don't even know um, that we like. Do we have comedy? I, at the I end think of we show? would say something like, uh, uh, "This just in: stink bug being added to Smash Brothers." Is that good? Is that a joke? I like that character. He would make a great assist trophy. Stink bug. Where you like pick up the uh, stink bug assist trophy and, and you then, don't like, look a at it, and then you give the, it to someone else. A scorpion comes out of the ground, and then people are so confused. Why? I don't understand the reference. And then they say, why wasn't this a stink bug? And then you say, we just don't have it yet. <laughs>